Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! This is the week one preseason edition of the Lightning Round Podcast. I am Garrett Sisti at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Here again is Jamie Hoyle at Lightning underscore round. We're here to talk about the Chargers 24-17 preseason loss to the Arizona Cardinals. But now let's give a shout out to the podcast's biggest supporter. Thank you once again to Marcus Terigian for yet another donation. He is, as we always say, our biggest benefactor and our largest supporter. And we appreciate that. And... As we always say, we appreciate anybody who supports us in any way they can, whether that's listening to the show, um, chatting with us on Twitter, uh, or evaluating us or rating us on um, iTunes, or preferably donating money. So thank you all for continuing to support us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And of course, you know we've got questions about the app. The app will be back up as soon as we can get it up. We're working on that. I'm hoping by the start of the season, Fingers hopefully crossed. sooner. Yeah, but we're trying. We're trying our hardest. So today we're going to kind of flip up the format a little bit. I was talking to Jamie a little bit before the show today, and usually, you know, we go over what's good and all the players that were good, and then we go over the bad. And today I thought we might do something a little bit different, just break it down by position group, because all off season we've been talking about camp battles and cuts by positions. So we might as well keep going on that format, and then we'll talk about these individuals in each group and how they did, whether good or bad. Of course, we're not going to talk about all good and all bad, but we're going to talk about the players within each position group now rather than just a big game overview. So we'll break it down by position group, and we'll go ahead and start on offense. And, you know, the important battle was the quarterback battle. Yeah, that was the big battle they, they opened the, the broadcast talking about yesterday, and uh, it, what, it went, I don't know about you, but it went pretty much the way I expected it to go during the game, that being that Cardell looked rushed and uncomfortable and like the game was a bit too fast for him and he was erratic and he did not play very well and Geno Smith came in with the twos uh, late in the second quarter and he looked much better he was throwing ac- throwing the ball accurately his footwork was better he was seeing the field better making good decisions I only saw really one that I would call bad decision early in the outing and other than that it seemed like he was pretty clean played pretty well and to me it seems like i mean this is a no-brainer we talked about this when we did the the uh offensive preview show was that i thought gino's a better quarterback than cardell and i thought he would win the the backup quarterback job and i don't think he did anything to change my opinion and i think he did do something to probably change the team's opinion of cardell or at least how they're evaluating him and what they're expecting of him yeah i mean it it was pretty clear that gino won this battle cardell was 
erratic, probably the most erratic we've seen. The last two preseason games, he looked more comfortable in the offense, but completely took a step back against the Cardinals. Lynn gave him a chance to get some playing time with the starters, but he did them no favors. He finished 6-12 for 50 yards. Every pass seemed to have too much zip on it, whether it was like a one-yard dump off or a 15-yard pass downfield. It was all at the same speed, sometimes at the feet of Melvin Gordon, sometimes it's behind your tight end, Virgil Green. He was all over the place. Geno, of course, finished 14 of 23, 218 yards. He had the touchdown to Jeremy Davis, which we'll talk about, and he had the interception. You know, the uh, second and third team offense did Geno no help at all. They didn't help him at all, but he did the best with what he could, and he made some good throws, and he was definitely the best of the bunch in Arizona. Um, the one guy we didn't talk about was Sheminek. There was a lot of people who love Sheminek, uh, getting a lot of praise on Twitter after the game, but I think he was still a little bit erratic too. He showed off a strong arm, was pretty comfortable in the pocket, which was good to see, but he finished 8 of 14, 39 yards. He had a chance to win it at the end, of course. Uh, ended up coming up short there on the end. But uh, showed signs of good play. But the first taste of NFL experience kind of fell a little flat. But, you know, something you, you'd expect from an undrafted free agent quarterback in their first game action. So, you know, a little bit promising uh, aspects of Shimonek's game towards the end of the fourth quarter. But, uh, yeah, Geno definitely took game one for sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you're talking about Geno's performance, you know, you look at the stat line, you say, well, he he took three sacks, he had a pick, he fumbled the ball. I think the only thing, the only complaint I had about him really was it, I felt like he held the ball a little bit too long at times. And I think that the fumble was as much on him as it was on the left tackle, uh, I believe, who I believe was Sam Tevy at the time, who was getting whipped all game long, by the way, and we'll talk about him later. But yeah. uh, he, uh, Gino just held on to the ball too long and didn't really give himself a chance to get rid of it. And the fumble was a result of him holding the ball too long on that particular play. The interception was not his fault. He made the correct read. He made a good throw, put it on Jeremy Davis's hands, and it looked to me like Jeremy kind of alligator-armed it and allowed the quarterback, the cornerback, Benet Ben Wickery, to get inside his frame and tipped the ball, and it wound up an interception, but it should have been a catch. It was a very well-thrown ball. It was the right read, the right decision. Uh, no mistake there on Gino's part. So I, I thought Gino, you know, he kind of he did what I thought he would do. He ran the offense relatively efficiently. He moved the ball up and down, made some big plays. Despite what some people are saying on Twitter, he actually did a good job of driving the ball down the field. He had several completions of 10 or more yards, some of them into tight coverage, making some nuanced throws. Um Biggest thing though is he still lacks a feel for the pass rush. That was something that plagued him in in New York when he was with the Jets, and you can see it's still there. He doesn't always feel it or see it when it's coming, and that can lead to problems. But when he does feel it and see it, he avoids the rush and gets the ball off when he needs to. So he is, in my opinion, clearly the second best quarterback on this roster, which is not saying much, but it is what it is. I thought, you know, all through camp, this whole thing that Lynn was talking about it being a 50-50 shot here at quarterback two was just not the case. I think he was just kind of pumping it up for the media and kind of wanted to give Cardell a shot with the ones. You know, he wanted to give him his fair shot, let him go out there with the starters and see if he can run an NFL offense. And he just couldn't against the Cardinals. And Gino has been the clear-cut favorite. Uh, he held on the ball too long at camp, uh, was still a little bit erratic, but nothing compared to Shimanek and compared to Cardell Jones. So of the bunch, Gino was definitely the best, and he definitely won game one in terms of that backup quarterback battle. 
Absolutely. And as far as Shimanek goes, you know, I saw some things that I liked, not the least of which being that he gets that ball out in a hurry. He hits the top of his drop and he's looking to cut it loose and he's trusting his receivers to be where they're supposed to be. And unfortunately, he was looking at J.J. Davis, who, as we'll talk about later, was rarely where J.J. he was Jones. supposed J.J. Jones, excuse me. Mm-hmm. He was rarely where he was supposed to be, wasn't getting his head around, and didn't seem like he was interested in catching the ball. So that connection did him no favors. But uh, I thought Shimonek did a good job of getting rid of the ball quickly, on time, and giving his receivers a chance to make plays. Yeah, so let's go ahead and move on to the running backs. And... You know, Melvin Gordon got some run with the starters. Uh, not a ton to talk about other than that run off the side, off the right side with Pouncey, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Joe Barksdale got in front. That was a beautiful 10-yard run by uh, Melvin Gordon. But other than that, uh, not much going. Austin Eckler picked up right where he left off last year, was the team leading's rusher, also picked up 44 in the air. Uh, one of those catches was just a simple three-yard dump off. It was third and seven in the second quarter. Eckler turned that into 39 yards. I mean, he broke a couple tackles and almost took it to the house. The fun part of this group was the duo of Russell Hansborough and Dietrich Newsom, which was both big surprises, played very good. Uh, Newsom was a UDFA that I really liked. I was intrigued by him, and uh, I thought he played really well. Showed a ton as a pass catcher in Arizona, ran a touchdown, though he should have had two. If it weren't for that stupid penalty by Goldditch, a holding penalty on the backside of the play, what are you doing? It wasn't even to your side. Yep. That was a dumb, it should have been too. But anyway, uh, Russell Hansborough also showed some wiggle. Um, he had the fumble, but I think that was uh, more on Cardell than it was on Hansborough. Cardell kind of led him too far out, and maybe Hansborough could have got a hold of it, but still, you know, uh, I thought Cardell kind of threw it away from him. And um, both. Hansborough and Newsom, very good in pass protection. And next week, or at least in the next coming weeks of preseason, I'd like to see both Hansborough and Newsom get some work as some returners. Yeah. See if they, we can get some work, yeah, some uh, return duty out of those two. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, we went into camp figuring that, you know, the third running back spot was was basically written in ink with uh, Justin Jackson, the rookie seventh-round pick, and that may not be the case. He may want to hurry up and get healthy and get back on the field because – Hansborough in particular looked really good. He ran hard. He showed some wiggle. He's physical. And you mentioned it, the pass protection. He had two or three very key blocks picking up blitzers or free rushers uh, that freed up uh, Card- or, uh, that freed up Gino to Gino. make some big throws, one of which was the long touchdown pass to uh, to Jeremy Davis. So he that the pass protection to me is what stood out with Hansborough just because you don't expect somebody who's coming, who's a, an undrafted free agent who hasn't played at all to be that proficient as a pass protector. But he's got a little bit of dog in him. He's a little nasty. He sticks to guys. He's not letting guys go. He's not looking to let anybody hit his quarterback. And you got to believe that's something that's going to stand out on tape when the team watches tape on Monday or Tuesday. And I would think that's something that's going to earn him maybe some more reps. Maybe he starts getting some looks with the twos um, at some point. And like you mentioned, I want to see both those guys return kicks, especially Newsom, who looks like he might be a little more explosive than Hansborough. But I'd like to see both those guys get some shots returning kicks and punts just to see what's there. Yeah, Newsom did it in college. I mean, he did everything in college. But, uh, yeah, Newsom and Hansborough were fun. And Hansborough into camp was ahead of Justin Jackson and never really let Justin in the in the conversation there. He was always the RB3 in camp, so you kind of saw why in game one. So, yeah, Jackson's got to get back and get healthy because that spot is kind of up in the air right now because there are two guys bearing down on him right now. It may not even be up in the air. 
<laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> you know, he might be on his way to locking that up the way he was pass protecting and the way he looked running the ball on Saturday. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to the wide receivers. So the wide receivers, I think two names in particular really stood out, um, both for mostly good reasons. One is Jeremy Davis. We mentioned the tip pass that he let clank off his hands for an interception, but he rebounded quite well, made some tough catches in traffic, made the big 47-yard touchdown catch uh, in the third quarter that got the Chargers their first touchdown. And I thought Jeremy looked good. He, he was getting open. Uh, he made some contested catches, used that frame of his quite well, was physical, and he showed he, he could you know stretch the field, had a little stop and go route on the outside for that touchdown. He looked very good, and he needed to because um, Artavis Scott played extremely well. Uh, coming into camp, you know, he was a guy who they talked up relentlessly last preseason or last training camp, and he didn't play in the preseason. This year, they're talking him up again, and you're thinking more of the same. You know, he's got no shot at making the roster. They just like him, and they're talking him up. Well, he played pretty well, and he looks like he belongs. Uh, he played pretty much the entire game, if even if it was just the majority of it. He played the vast majority of the game, uh, made a couple tough third-down catches, uh, was one of the more targeted wide receivers on the field. They seemed like Cardell and Gino both were looking to him quite a bit. And he made some nice catches and also had two long kick returns that were very impressive. And I think that's the key for him, even more so than making plays as a wide receiver, is if he wants to make this roster, he has to be valuable as something other than just a wide receiver. And his two long kicks, including one, I think it was a 39-yarder, showed a little burst, little wiggle, Got the ball down the field, didn't waste any time, no dancing, no running sideways, no running backwards, hint, hint, Travis Benjamin. Just uh, got the ball, turned it upfield, found a seam, hit it, and got a big gain. And uh, I think he's a guy who's working his way up the depth chart and now is putting himself squarely in that discussion for the fifth and or sixth wide receiver spot, depending on how many the team decides to keep. Yeah, that battle for the fifth slash sixth wide receiver, you know, with Dylan Cantrell or without is definitely heating up. Jeremy Davis, Artavis Scott, they're both targeted six times. Uh, It seemed like in the first preseason game, at least, that Artavis Scott was the better player in the first half. He was really showing out, some key catches. But when Jeremy Davis inserted himself on that 47-yard Moss touchdown, just mossed Chris Campbell for a 47-yard touchdown was huge. And then came up with some more big catches, I think. Now, let me ask you, if if you've got Dylan Cantrell as the fifth wide receiver and you're carrying six wide receivers and you're basing it just on this game, are you keeping Jeremy Davis or Tavis Scott? Uh, That's a tough one. I mean, Jeremy Davis was on the roster all year last year, and I know the coaches love him. If it's me, if I'm in that room, I think right now – you're probably still keeping Davis by a hair just because he's bigger and he fits that large physical wide receiver mold that the team seems to like. But it's a lot closer than I thought it would be, and that could very easily change in the coming weeks. Yep, it's razor thin, but Jeremy Davis gets that nod as a six-wide receiver. Yeah, with the play he did against Arizona, uh, some very key catches and that touchdown. I mean, that was just impressive. That's not something I don't I don't think Artavis Scott can do. Just no. go up and bully a guy in the air for 47 yards. Yeah, that was that was all Jeremy Davis. It was go up and get it, and he did, and he scored. So 
Yeah, if we're talking six wide receiver, I think Jeremy Davis won game one, but it is so, so thin. Artavis Scott is so close, especially with his returnability. We didn't talk about Mike Williams, but you know, uh, with Keenan Allen and Travis Benjamin out, he made the best of his opportunity. few balls offline from Cardell when targeting Mike Williams, of course, but his best play was at the top of the second quarter. It was third and two. Cardell hit Williams on a pick play with Jeremy Davis. He caught it at the sticks and then fought through four defenders, kept going, and bowled his way to 10-yard gain. That was uh, That's you know what we like to see from Mike Williams because we were talking he's the big possession third-down receiver. That would be his role. That was a key catch run to extend the drive on that play. So that was that was a vintage Mike Williams, hopefully, uh, play there from Mike. Yeah, there was another play that he made too that might have even been on the same possession where they had, I believe it was a, it's either a first and 20 or a second and 20, and he picked up about 12 on a comeback route where he came back hard to the ball, posted up the, the defensive back, extended, caught the ball with his hands, and got a nice little chunk gain on, I think it was on second down, to make for a convertible third down. So, you know, he didn't put up huge numbers. He didn't stretch the field. He didn't make any huge plays. But he made a couple plays in the role that you're that we expect him to be in, which is that, like you mentioned, physical third down receiver around and inside the hash marks because I think that's where he's going to make his living. So then we move on. Oh, you want to talk about J.J. Jones, I think, right? <laughs> you alluded to earlier. Uh, just to say that while he looked good returning punts and kicks, he is not an NFL wide receiver, and I have seen enough. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Moving on to tight ends, um, the, and this was a rough, rough group. Sean Colkin was the only tight end to catch a pass against the Cardinals. He caught both balls thrown his way. Uh, obviously, does not count the um, you know the fumble hit on the penalty, but Virgil Green had a target, but Cardell's pass was offline. Braden Bowman and Ben Johnson were both very bad against the Cardinals. Bowman dropped two of his three catchable balls. Ben Johnson dropped both his targets. Antonio Gates get, is getting the call within the next two weeks. That that is happening. He was going to get it anyway. I mean, yeah, but I'm saying after after that showing of these tight ends, Antonio Gates is on the line. Yeah, I mean, I think Culkin played pretty well after that that initial drop. He dropped the first ball thrown to him, and then he had that penalty where he went up in traffic and or he caught a ball in a tight window and turned and got the ball knocked loose and was saved by a penalty. Uh, yeah. After that, you know, he got open a couple times. He made one really tough catch in traffic with some with a safety bearing down on him. Uh, made another catch for ten or fifteen yards, I think. Both of his plays were downfield in the middle of the field, which is something the team needs. So he he looked pretty good once he got over the early game yips. Uh, Braden Bowman looked awful. I mean, he had the on I think it was on Geno's first pass play. Uh, he hit him right in the hands at about eight yards down the lot, down the field on the sideline, and it just clanked right off his hands. And there was another one, same thing, where he was wide open in the middle of the field and clanked it. Uh, he looked brutal for somebody that the team has been talking up and they seem to love. Uh, he did not show much. Ben Johnson disappointed me. I was expecting to see him show up probably a little bit more on special teams than as a as a pass catcher in that first game. I didn't see him make any plays on special teams, and I'm not even convinced he played on special teams. And like you mentioned, he got the ball thrown his way twice, dropped both of them. I think one was in traffic and was not necessarily an easy catch, but still dropped both of them, did not look good. Uh, yeah, Gates is definitely getting the call. <laughs> no doubt about it. He was always getting it, but even yeah. more so now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Within the next two weeks, Antonio Gates is on the roster. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing in the third preseason game. Yeah, it'd be hard to sign him any later than that to give up a roster spot without seeing him play at all or practice or anything. It just seems like they're they're going to get it done soon. He's probably playing a little bit in the third preseason game by that point. And then, you know, he's maybe got a series in him, maybe two. Yeah, I I I still want to see what Virgil Green does with uh with Gino throwing to him. I mean, they only threw to him once on Saturday. Uh it was high and behind him. It was not a good throw. Uh could he have caught it? Possibly, but uh Cardell definitely did not do him any favors. No, no. I would I would not put that on Virgil. No, it was not on Virgil. Um <laughs> he you know I, there is a line of thought that says if it, the ball hits your hands, you catch it. But it was it was not a well thrown ball at all. Okay, so let's go ahead and finish up offense here and talk about the offensive line. Uh, a couple guys who stood out and looked pretty good, at least in the first team. I thought um, Dan Feeney and Mike Pouncey both looked really good. They both got out in front of that ten uh, yard run that Melvin Gordon had that you mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, both coming across the line, getting out in front of the run along the right sideline. And making some key blocks. Feeney also had a couple key blocks on a screen pass, I believe. Uh, and you know, it was a short look. They didn't play for very long, so it's it's hard. It's a small sample size. But I think the big takeaway, offensive line wise, at least on the positive side, is Mike Pouncey looks healthy and he looks like he's able to move around and cover some ground, and that's a very positive thing. Um, didn't really see much from Okun to be able to comment on him. Uh, was not overly impressed with Michael Schofield. Was not overly impressed with Joe Barksdale. I think you know the only two real standouts there are Pouncey and Feeney. Pouncey doing most of his damage at the second level. Love seeing him running out in front. Uh, talked about the Gordon run. It was six forty one in the first quarter. I think it ended up being like twelve yards at the end of it. But um, very good uh, play by Mike Pouncey. You know, most of the runs of the first team offense didn't really go anywhere. But I thought Pouncey and also as you mentioned Feeney. Got the job done on their end. Uh, Michael Schoolfield, I was disappointed in. A bad block in the back penalty. And then also didn't seem athletic enough to get to the next level on a couple runs. Something that I, you know, I'm hoping Forrest Lamp can do when he gets back and healthy, hopefully sooner rather than later. But um, Schofield, I thought, was the weak link. Uh, Joe Barksdale was just fine. Uh, got out in front a little bit, but didn't didn't wow me. Okung was all right. He didn't have any problems. Uh, the second team offensive line, you mentioned Sam Tevy, probably the worst game of any player. Uh, gave up three sacks, including that fumble. They were all the cap cap. He was the same guy. And that's not even including the three other pressures that I counted, two of which Gino had to get rid of and throw out of bounds. They were both throwaways. Another one was a hurried pass that ended up being an incompletion. So not even including those, gave up three sacks, including that fumble. Uh, he was brutal. He ended up leaving. We don't know the severity of it, but Sam Tevy had a rough day against the Cardinals. He was um, brutal. Absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. Yeah, um, took a complete step backwards at the end of the season, looked good. And in command as the right tackle, and uh, liked what I saw to Sam Tevy, took a step backward for sure. I thought Cole Toner, the center, had some troubles. Same with Zach Goldditch. Um, the rookie Scott Questenberry was okay. I, he did struggle, but also had some good plays too. He was kind of up and down, but uh, that that was kind of it for the offensive line for me. Yeah, uh, you know, Tevy, I saw him have one good block, and it was on the long run by Eckler to start the second quarter. He kind of sealed off the edge and, and broke Eckler free, and then it was downhill straight from there. He was terrible the rest of the way. Uh, Questenberry, 
I thought he had a couple nice run blocks, but he was pretty bad in pass protection. He was getting run around, getting pushed around quite a bit. Did not look very good. Uh, Toner had one or two good blocks, but mostly was pretty down, I thought. Didn't see really anything exciting out of, out of Pulley at right guard. And Zach Goldich was awful. A um, couple really bad penalties. Didn't really make any blocks to speak of. Uh, really more bad than good in terms of just being sloppy and, and not having his head about him and making smart football plays. You might look at the numbers and say that the team has a lot of depth on the offensive line. Depending on what happens over the next couple of weeks, it looks like it's fair to question the quality of the depth on the offensive line because all of those guys struggled as a group. There were big holes. They, I mean, they, they leaked like a sieve the entire second half. I saw Poley get knocked down a couple times. I thought he struggled as well. Not a guy I mentioned, but yeah, that whole second and third offensive line really struggled. There were guys that you would hope would step up. Sam Tevy we saw last year. We saw Spencer Pulley was a starter last year. He thought he would be good against the twos. Uh, Scott Questenberry he had high hopes for, uh, none of which played very good. Questenberry probably the best of the bunch, but still very up and down. He did not have a great game. And uh, so, yeah, you do have to kind of question the depth, especially when you see the guys that were starters last year having problems like Tevy and Pulley. With twos and threes. Yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and move on to defense here, and we'll go ahead and start with the middle and the interior defenders. The The Chargers run defense, and we were talking about how bad the Chargers' second and third team offensive line. The Chargers starters in run defense, the interior, was bad. They got pushed around that first drive. Brandon Mebane was losing ground constantly against the backup center, Mason Cole, who's a rookie. It's bad. It's it's something we got to watch because Justin Jones isn't really suited to be that zero one. Even though Telesco said he sees him as a three tech and also a zero one tech, but when you look at the depth behind Mebane, you've got Square, who's considerably undersized, which we've mentioned on this podcast before. And if Justin Jones is playing the three tech, there there isn't much help behind Brandon Mebane, and he was very bad against the Cardinals. So of the um, interior defenders, one guy that I was really uh, impressed by, and I'm kind of leaping back to the like third, fourth quarter, was Steven Richardson. You know, of Mebane, Legit, Square, Bijan Jackson, and kind of to a lesser extent, Darius Fallon, because I thought he had a pretty good game. The undrafted free agent, Steven Richardson, outplayed every other defender in that game one. He had three tackles, which was tied third on the team, and he made more tackles than all five of those guys combined. Now, Damian Square was quietly good. He didn't make a a ton of splash plays, but he did well. I thought Darius Phelan struggled early, got better. Corey Legit has completely fallen down the depth chart, by the way. He's playing well into the third quarter. He played into the fourth uh, quarter, I think. Oh, it it leaked all the way to the fourth quarter, I think so, yeah. So he was not very effective, even collected a personal foul penalty. But Richardson showed good push up front, uh, really made his mark in the run game, stacking and shedding to get to those tackles. Like what I saw to Richardson, I thought Mebane struggled mightily. I thought um, Square was quietly good. And uh, Phylon had a all right game, uh, struggled early, but got better. I kind of agree with your thoughts there. Mebane, I think, is a problem. And we've been really saying it for two years, is that he seemed to hit a cliff towards the end of the 16 season. And it seemed like he fell off in a big way during 2017. And now it just seems like he's done. Uh, he's, like you mentioned, he's losing ground to the backup center. He's not just losing ground. He's getting turned inside and outside, depending on where they need him to be. He's just getting pushed around. Uh, not really holding his ground, not plugging up holes, not being disruptive at all. That's a concern. Uh, I thought 
Phylon, uh, the first long run of the game, I think it went for like 10 or 12 yards to David Johnson. Phylon over-penetrated and got run out of the play, and they ran right behind him. The next play, he penetrated, but they ran over Mebane. After that, it felt like Phylon settled in. He started penetrating. He wasn't necessarily making plays, but he was disrupting and creating opportunities for his teammates to make plays. I thought he looked pretty good, and he looked particularly good as a pass rusher. He got a couple pressures, uh, moved the pocket a little bit a couple times. Square, like you mentioned, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, You could argue he was the second or third most productive defensive interior defensive lineman on the team, not in terms of actual statistical production, but he was active and he was disruptive. He was moving the pocket. He was generating penetration, um, you know, forcing running backs to stop their feet, bounce outside, bounce inside, whatever the case may be. He was penetrating and he was creating opportunities to stop running plays, blowing up plays before they get started. So he looked pretty good. He, he kind of surprised me. He exceeded my expectations. We'll put it that way, which admittedly were pretty low. Uh, <laughs> um, Legit, he flashed at times. He looked pretty good, but he's playing against twos and threes. So what's that really say about him? And like you mentioned, he's fallen so far down the depth chart now that he's playing into the third or fourth quarter of a preseason game. You know, that might have something to do with the fact that they know he's not going to be around for the first four weeks, but it seems like he's getting lapped on the depth chart by some of these guys, which is an encouraging sign because it means the coaches are properly evaluating him. Um I didn't notice much from Bijan Jackson, really. Uh, didn't really pay too much attention to him specifically, and he didn't do anything to stand out to me. I did notice Steven Richardson push the pocket a couple times. I can think of one play off the top of my head where he penetrated. The running back made him miss the first time, and he chased him down in the hole from behind to finish the play. So he looked pretty good in spots. There were a couple plays where he got pushed around a little bit, but overall, as an undrafted free agent, a guy who's at the back of the depth chart, he looks like a guy who... Um, probably should get some more snaps, work his way up to the, to the third, maybe the second team, just to see what you've got there. But he looked pretty good. Yeah. Bijan Jackson, the only thing that comes to mind was a pass deflection he had, but he wasn't getting much penetration. And he's a he's a giant man, and I know fans are going to be a fan of him being a big, round mound of a human being, but he is not the zero-one tech you're looking for. It, it, Steven, Steven Richardson definitely showed out that first game, and uh, I do hope he gets more snaps with the twos. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to the outside of the defensive line. Let's talk about these ends. Um, I thought one name that stood out to me, well, a couple of names that stood out to me. One, I thought um, Isaac Rochelle played a pretty good game. Uh, he was extremely active. He was in on several run stops. Uh, looked like he had somebody uh, wrapped up. He had the running back wrapped up on the Cardinals' first touchdown, um, only to have Jalila die sneak around the backside and knock him off the play. Uh, but he... He looks like a guy who might be ascending the depth chart, like a guy who might be able to give you some really high-quality backup minutes um, and give Joey Bosa a rest in some spots because he provided some some pass rush. He was effective against the run, holding his ground. I thought he looked pretty good and pretty active. Um, also thought uh, Uchenna Nwosu in sub-packages looked very good as a defensive end, applying quick, explosive pressure. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more in the linebacker in the linebacker section, but he looked pretty good in those sub packages as a defensive end. Um, Chris Landrum, another guy who looked pretty good. He had a sack, had a couple pressures, looked solid. 
so yeah, there are some defensive ends that I thought played pretty well. Yeah, Isaac Rochelle led the team in tackles. I think, you know, slimming down this offseason and rather than being that tweener tackle end, leaning down, getting faster, quicker, being more of an end now because that's what they're going to ask him to do uh, has really helped him because he looked faster. Him and Kaiser White made that good third down and goal stop on Edmonds short of the goal line. He was all over the field. I thought Isaac Rochelle was impressive. I thought he had a good game. Chris Landrum. Showing part of the reason why the team thought Chris McCain was expendable. Was in the backfield a lot. Got the one sack, but was in the backfield a lot more than I thought he would be. He got a lot of good pressure. And uh, let's go ahead and move on to linebackers and talk about Nuosu. Because to me, Nuosu was the most impressive player across the board to me. Only because he showed a lot more in terms of a pass rush than I thought he had. Uh, He and Pillard blitzed in the A-gap, put pressure on Rosen that one time where Derwin stopped the receiver short of the third down on the back end. But he finished with two QB hits. He looked very quick off the ball. And I thought he was the player of the game and probably one of their best defenders, but he did struggle in coverage. Uh, Every time he was targeted, I think he gave up five catches on five targets. That was his one bad aspect of his game. But, you know, he had good pursuit on a screen that was on the other side of the ball where he got a tackle. He looked good in the run game, uh, showed a lot as a pass rusher. I thought Nwosu was impressive. Nwosu was very impressive. And I said this during the game on Twitter. Uh, I admittedly didn't know off the top of my head what his number was. So I saw 58 flash two or three plays in a row at one point in the second quarter. And I thought, damn, who is that guy? And I looked it up and realized it was Nwosu. So anytime somebody's playing well enough, that you feel you feel it necessary to look up his number and figure out who the hell is that guy, that's a pretty good sign. He played extremely well, very quick off the edge, uh, looked more instinctive off the edge than I expected him to be, You know, understanding how to get himself free and get to the quarterback. He closed quickly. Uh, he had one play where he probably should have had a sack on, um, on Josh Rosen, but he opted to go for the strip sack which shows that he's thinking on his feet and he understands what, he, what he's doing out there, but he missed the strip and wound up missing the sack, but he still forced a bad throw away. So he looked very good rushing the passer. I also saw him stick his nose in there in terms of setting the edge and forcing the edge, resetting the edge really back into the backfield against the run. He helped blow up a couple of run plays doing that. So he looked very good against the run. Like you mentioned, the pass uh, coverage was, a, was an issue. He gave up a the touchdown in the fourth quarter where uh, the Cardinals ran kind of an RPO and he bit on the play action and then they threw it over the top of him in, into the end zone. Uh, that's the one that really stood out to me because they kind of took advantage of the inexperience where they sucked him in and then threw it over the top. Um, but that's, you know, we expected that. You know, we expected that he'd struggle with his coverage coming out of college. Uh, what we didn't expect was the ability to set the edge and impact the running the run defense and that he's going to be that effective off the edge as a pass rusher that quickly. Yeah, definitely. He looked more athletic today than he did on tape in college. Oh, absolutely. He looks like a completely different player. He wasn't He wasn't a great ed- edge setter in college. I, people say he was. I didn't think he was. I didn't think he offered much as a pass rusher, and I felt like his stats were padded a lot of the times because he would start his pass rush moves be stonewalled, stop, and then just jump and get his long arms in the way of pass rush and get and get a deflection, and it makes an impact on the play. But he really was still at the line of scrimmage. You know, he was still getting beat, but then at the end, he getting that deflection, 
Yeah. Yeah. So I was very impressed by Ochenna Nwosu. I thought Kaiser White, another rookie, played very good. He was good in coverage, came downhill, made some good run stops, including that one on third and goal that I mentioned earlier with uh, Isaac Rochelle. Uh, Hayes Pollard surprisingly had a good game. A lot of his splash plays came as a pass rusher, which was something we're not accustomed to seeing. And um, another interesting thing was Kyle Emanuel. Uh, you know, he... There's a good chance he might lose a spot as, at auto if Nuoso keeps playing like he was. But they not only played him at the auto, but they stood him up at the mic at times. It seems like they're trying to get him involved. Maybe because they think Nuoso will be starting at auto sooner rather than later. But uh, they're really trying to work Emmanuel in. I noticed the same thing. I was kind of wondering if you catch it. It seems like they are actively looking for a reason to keep Kyle Emmanuel. Like going yeah. into training camp, we kind of figured he'd be one of the guys on the bubble at linebacker because Nwosu would replace him, and he really doesn't have another fit some, anywhere else on the roster. But they played him quite a bit at Mike. He was the third-team Mike once Pollard came off the field, and he played quite a bit there. So they're very obviously looking for another fit for him, trying to show that he's versatile and find a reason to keep him. It's pretty clear. Uh, as far as Kaiser White goes, you know he had the third down stop. I thought he had a bad moment on the fourth down play where they scored the touchdown where they're running in his direction and he's actually in position to make a play, but he's celebrating what he thought was a stop and he winds up watching the running back score right in front of him. Not a real good look, not the end of the world, not something you're going to condemn the kid for, and I'm sure it'll get corrected really fast in the in the film room, um, but not the way you want to start off your first preseason game. Having said that, he rebounded pretty well. He was all over the field. I mean, he played... Weak side linebacker. I saw him play Mike at times. He stayed on the field uh, on nickel. They didn't bring in. Um, they didn't really play any dime, so you didn't see a whole lot of Sean Phillips or I'm sorry, Adrian Phillips Adrian. <laughs> uh, in sub packages. They left uh, Kaiser White in in the sub packages when they played nickel, and he covered extremely well. He was coming downhill, looked instinctive against the run. He's a great finisher against the run. Fantastic. Uh, just a sure-handed tackler. You even call him a thumper the way he hits. And he made a huge block, which I saw you highlight on, on Twitter during the game. It yeah, sprung one of teams. their big returns. And I believe he made a special teams tackle as well. So he was all over the field, impacted def the defense, impacted special teams. He was a guy who I thought played pretty well, or very well, actually. I thought he played very well once he got past that initial, you know, kind of, uh, celebratory moment, the teaching moment in the, in the first quarter. Yeah, and one other name I'll throw out is uh, Dewan Hines, who I think fared pretty well in coverage. Uh, not bad in the run game either. Looked quick, was playing downhill most of the time out there. I thought he made the mess, most of his opportunities. Uh, the thing that concerns me with Hines is he was a guy we thought might have a chance to supplant Hayes Pollard as the number two Mike, and he's currently playing as about the fourth Mike. He didn't get in until late in the fourth quarter, so not sure what the team if the team sees in him what we saw in him, but I agree he looked pretty good. He looked pretty comfortable out there. Uh, wasn't hesitating. Was chasing down plays. Uh, I thought he did pretty well with his time. Didn't make real much of an impact on special teams, which he was one of the guys I thought one of the UDFA's I thought would stand out on special teams, but uh, that didn't turn out to be the case. We'll go ahead and move off the of linebackers and move on to corners, unless you got anybody else you want to talk about. Uh, well, I mean, we're kind of covering this in terms of position battles. We didn't talk at all about Jatavis White. 
Chatavis Brown. Chatavis Brown. Did I say? <laughs> we didn't talk at all about Chatavis Brown. Um, I knew I'd do that at some point. Uh, who also I thought played reasonably well. He didn't really do anything to stand out or necessarily keep his starting job, but he also didn't do anything to lose it. Um, I thought the one thing that stood out with me was he had a hard time identifying and shedding second-level blockers. If a second-level blocker got their hands on him, he was done. Um, and he was a big part of those first two long running plays because he got caught up with a second-level blocker and got run off the play. But after those fir- first two plays, he settled in, and he was another guy who was, seemed like he was all over the field making tackles. So he, he, looked, he looked better than I expected, uh, looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I really like that run stop he had, and I think it was the second drive where he got in the backfield tackle for a loss. I, that was the Jatavis Brown we're used to seeing. Yeah, yeah, he had a couple pretty impressive run stops. I think both came in the second quarter where he looked pretty. He was, uh, you know, decisive, and he crashed downhill and made a nice tackle. Yep. Okay, let's talk about these corners. So the guy that really stands out in terms of corners, obviously, is Michael Davis. Uh, he started with the ones he and Craig Meger. And Davis was really very good. I mean, he next to Nuosu, he was probably the second best defender on the field, certainly in the top three. He had tight coverage, did a good job of getting his head around and locating the ball, high-pointed a ball for a PBU on third down, made a couple nice tackles in the run game. Uh, he just did everything you would look for him to do in his first starting opportunity. And he's a guy who looks like he's really grown in the last year. And he looks like a guy who deserves some snaps and belongs. And he doesn't look nearly as overwhelmed as he did in the first preseason game last year. Yeah, I mean, with both Casey Hayward and Trevor Williams out, he made a really, he got the start, and he made a really nice tackle for a loss on the right side on the Cardinals' second drive. He knifed right in, uh, tackled him for a one-yard loss. Then, of course, you talked about that PBU, but... Man, that deflection on that pass to Greg Little and then the choke slam at the end of it, just in case he had the ball, <laughs> was beautiful. I loved it, man. He played all the way through till the whistle. I loved it. And the one catch he gave up was a quick completion that he was right on top of the receiver. It was a two- or three-yard gain. It was just underneath, but he's right there to tackle him as soon as he caught it. So I thought Michael Davis was very impressive. Uh, Craig Minger didn't get any targets, and he didn't even really – you know, nothing to really talk about, but in terms of the starters on the corners, I thought Michael Davis was the best. He played oh, really good. He was the best corner on the roster by far. Yeah. Played very well. Yeah. Uh, the next guy that stood out, I thought Brandon Faison had a pretty solid game. Uh, he had the interception, obviously, which was more the result of Tony Brown breaking up a pass, but he still did a good job to locate and pick off the ball. And he was also in tight coverage several times on the outside where he, you know, Pressed somebody, he pressed the opposing receiver, uh, gave him a hard time getting off the line, and stayed right with him in his hip pocket and either got a hand on a ball or forced a difficult throw. So he looked pretty good. Tony Brown exceeded my expectations. He was the number two slot corner for most of the game behind Desmond King. And he had a pass breakup. He had a couple tackles. And he nearly had a second pass breakup on a deep ball in the fourth quarter where he got beat a little bit, but he recovered, chased the ball down, located it, tried to high point it. He actually got his hand on it, but the receiver had some strong hands and pulled the ball in for a for a big catch. So Brown actually looked better than I would have expected him to. 
Faison looked good. I, I liked uh, what I saw out of him. Of course, the interception on the tip pass, he played pretty well. While watching that replay, it didn't seem like Tony Brown had a lot to do with it. He was in the area for sure, but um, I wasn't that big on Tony Brown. I thought you know he gave up that really long completion up the seam. Um, I think he had the one pass breakup, but um, I thought Faison was the better of the two this time around. Of the cornerbacks, I mean, Jeff Richards kind of started out rough, but uh, I thought he recovered towards the end of the game, but I don't think there was much. Oh, well, obviously, Des King did pretty well, too. Des King was just Des King, of course. Yeah, he's everywhere. Brown definitely wasn't the best corner, and I, I agree with you that Faison was right up there in terms of uh, being right behind Des King, but I thought Brown played better than I expected him to. Rounding out this defensive group, the safeties. Now, Derwin James, of course, was a guy that everybody had their eye on, and he made two third-down stops, one that we talked about earlier where Nuosu and Pollard were bearing down a Rosen. Then the other one was the forced incompletion of DJ Foster in the second quarter where he's just in his hip pocket, kind of guided him out of bounds off his route in incompletion. But for the most part, Derwin looked like he was thinking a lot out there, opposed to like getting after it like we're accustomed to seeing with Derwin James. He got into camp late with the injury, so I guess you know you can kind of expect that. But hopefully with a full work week, he's going to get that confidence up a little bit going into that second preseason game. In terms of the other safeties, not, not much to talk about. Rayshon played both free safety, also got bumped out of the strong safety. Jaleel Adai did the opposite, but the same did outside as the strong safety, then got bumped inside a little bit. But um, not much action for either of them on Saturday's affair. Uh, no, the Cardinals weren't really testing the Chargers deep, so there wasn't really a whole lot of action for the for the safeties, per se. Um, I think the rotation is what's mo- most notable there, and as opposed to whether or not anybody stood out. I mean, what stood out to me was that the Chargers started with a diet free safety and Phillips at, at strong safety. I'm, I'm sorry, a diet free safety and Jenkins at, at strong safety. And then when Derwin came in, Jenkins moved back, and Derwin played strong it was, safety. It was the opposite, wasn't it? Rayshon played free, and Adai played strong? No, Adai was back, and Rayshon was in the box pretty much the entire first drive. And then when Derwin came in, they moved they moved Jenkins back. Hmm. So to me, it kind of suggests they're getting ready to have Derwin be the starting strong safety. Uh, just the fact that they're moving Adai to free safety, which frankly scares the hell out of me but it is what it is. It seems like they're really trying to put Derwin in the best possible spot to succeed, which would be either playing that dime linebacker role or playing strong safety. So I do like the fact that they're trying to put him in his natural position instead of moving him out to keep a die where he, where he plays. Okay, well, uh, let's go ahead and talk about special teams. Of course, now we got to talk about kickers because, of course, we do. <laughs> We have waited it all off season. Now we got to talk about it. <laughs> this is what everybody's been waiting for. <laughs> um, well, obviously Sturgis made his first kick and looked calm and collected and drove it right through the middle of the of the uprights. Looked fantastic, and you're thinking maybe we finally have this fixed. And then, sure enough, <laughs> from 42 yep. yards out on a second kick, he yanks it about 30 yards to the left, and uh, <laughs> now we're all sweating bullets again every time we're taking the field for for a field goal so uh and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't did aguayo kick a field goal i think he was just kicking extra points right yeah he just made his two extra points yeah so uh didn't see much in terms of the field goals from aguayo um we do need to see something from him during the during the preseason to make sure that he can make those kicks because as we recall they picked young hope 
Young Wei Koo without even having him kick the ball in the preseason. So hopefully they learn from that mistake and they get both Aguayo and Sturgis plenty of opportunities and both of them kick the ball very well and make it a tough choice for all the right reasons. It's weird. After the game, there was a lot of Roberto Aguayo hype going on. I saw that. He, two, but he only made two extra points. He didn't kick a field goal. Yeah, I saw that, and I thought, I, mean, I don't remember him kicking a field goal. He's got uh, so the Sturgis yips are gone. Aguayo is the guy. Okay. He yeah. didn't kick a field goal. What? Because <laughs> he kicked two extra points? Yeah. Sturgis obviously was one of two. He missed the second one, which was brutal. And, man, I don't know what it is about these kickers, but when you're watching the game, when they kick it, I don't know why, but every Chargers kicker just puts their head down as soon as it goes up in the air. It was like, as soon as Sturgis <laughs> kicked it, he knew it was bad. He put his head down and went, he missed it, didn't he? And then, of course, it was wide left. And it was like, God damn it, what is with these kickers? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't I don't know what to say about that. Hopefully, Aguayo gets out there and kicks some field goals because I, I don't want to have him be the kicker if he's just making all these extra points. I let Aguayo kick the extra points next time around. Let them rotate and see who the starter's going to be. I, I really don't want to have this conversation, but here we are because Sturgis couldn't make both of his kicks. Yeah, I don't want to be talking about this for the next four weeks either. So hopefully it gets yeah. cleared up real fast, like, I don't know, Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we talked about the returners, of course. J.J. Jones, Ortavis, Scott were both impressive. Scott is obviously, we mentioned earlier, his returnability could be the deciding factor whether the team keeps him or not. So if Artavis keeps doing what he's doing, uh, he might have a shot at making the roster as a six-wide receiver over Jeremy Davis. But uh, both J.J. and Artavis were impressive as returners. They were. Yeah, they both looked very good. I thought uh, Artavis looked a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more productive as a kick returner as opposed to a punt returner. Uh, just getting that kind of 10 to 15 yard head start before the defenders are getting down there, getting ready to tackle you and letting your block set up. It seemed like it served him well. Uh, he was not really making people miss as a punt returner and just look kind of blah as a punt returner. JJ was really the better punt returner. I thought than kick returner, but I think he had one big return of each if I'm not mistaken. So they both look pretty good. I like JJ back there as a punt returner. Unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, he is not an NFL wide receiver, and they already carry one punt returner who doesn't want to be a receiver. I can't, I can't imagine they carry two. So I have a hard time seeing J.J. make the roster despite the contributions he made as a returner. So Artavis Scott had one kick each on punt returns and kick returns over J.J. Jones, and Artavis Long was 39 as a kick returner, J.J. 29. Artavis Long as a punt returner was nine, JJ eight. I th- I could have sworn JJ had like a thirty yard punt return early in the game, but maybe it was a kick. Yeah, must have been the kick for twenty nine. So just some other notes, you know, uh, we talked about injuries a little bit. So Sam Tevy got injured, but walked off his own power. Doesn't seem serious, but we don't know the extent of it. I think other than that, I think Trent Scott went out for a little bit. Got, got hobbled up a little bit, but other than that, there weren't any major injuries. No, no major injuries. It seemed like they got out relatively unscathed, which is good, and uh, hopefully it continues. They can't afford any more injuries. Obviously, the sloppy play, racking up 15 penalties for 155 yards was terrible. Then having four turnovers, including that Derek Watt fumble for the return six, was very, very bad. We didn't even talk about Derek Watt. But an impressive note, Arizona was 0 for 11 on third downs. So that third down defense clamped down for the Chargers. They really had a hard time moving the ball. I mean, the score doesn't 
indicate that, but they had what a fumble return for a touchdown and an interception in a, on a short field. I think they had three short and then fields. That, that huge return, which gave yep. a short field. So they really didn't move the ball that well. Um, they didn't after the first two long runs. They didn't run the ball especially well, and Rosen really didn't do much in terms of throwing the ball. So um, I thought the defense. First team, second team, and third team, they all played pretty well. Can I say something that just annoys me a little bit? Is that uh, every headline is like, oh, the Cardinals' offensive line did not help Josh Rosen out at all. It's like neither team had good offensive lines going. Geno did just fine with a patchwork second and third team offensive line. Josh Rosen just wasn't getting the ball away. He was a little bit fluttered in the pocket, had happy feet, wasn't very accurate. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Call it what it was. He didn't have a great game. Don't blame it on the offensive line. Yeah, maybe the offensive line struggled because the pass rush was playing well. But regardless, he didn't do anything with his opportunity. Yeah. He ended up passing for like 41 yards. It was like nothing on like 13 attempts. But anyway, that it just annoyed me that that was the big Cardinals headline was that oh, offensive line didn't help out Josh Rosen. Come on. Well, what's interesting is it works both ways, right? So uh, I've I've seen some people discrediting what Geno did on t- on Saturday by saying, well, he was playing against second and third stringers that aren't going to make the team. Like, <laughs> okay, but Cardell did nothing, and he played with the first team. Yeah. So Gino had no offensive line. He was playing with second and third team wide receivers, and he put up 218 with a touchdown. Cardell played with the starters. He had the best offensive line to work with. He had the first team running back, some of the first team wide receivers, and he did nothing. So what you know? What are we arguing about here? Like, you would yeah. think that Cardell, so, surrounded by better talent, would be putting up better numbers. So that, that's funny that you mentioned it because I had a similar argument today on Twitter with a uh, Cardinals beat writer. And I was saying they were like, oh, the you know, offensive line didn't help him out. He's working with the second, third team offensive line. I was like, well, Geno did too. But also, if you remember, the last quarterback, the fourth guy, Kanoff, he ended up passing. He had a touchdown, had like 66 yards passing. He was the fourth quarterback, had more yards than Rosen, had a touchdown, and he had like only five attempts. He had like half the amount of attempts and was way better than Rosen. So what's your argument here? And then, of course, he comes back and goes, well, well he was doing against that's scrubs. the third-team Chargers defense. They're not going to be starters. They're, that was just a give me. It's like working at Safeway next week. <laughs> Good grief, man. Come on. What are we talking about here? I had a conversation today on Twitter with somebody who was seriously arguing with me that Cardell is a, quote, more capable passer than Gino. And I said, what game were you watching? How can you look at that game and say that Cardell is a more capable passer? I get it if you want to say he has a stronger arm, but that doesn't make him a more capable passer. So, and and then he gets, he gets into, well, you're the only guy who thinks that Cardell is an outstanding backup. I said, wait a minute. I never said anything about him being outstanding anything. <laughs> I just said he outplayed Cardell, which if you're watching that tape objectively, you can't argue that. There's yeah. no way you can argue that Cardell outplayed uh, Gino. And he's yeah. going, well, no, you're on an island by yourself, pal. You, nobody agrees with you. Cardell's the man. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know what people watch anymore. I don't know what they're seeing. It's these allegiances, man. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't but matter what the tape says. Of all people to to plant your flag on, G, uh, Cardell Smith or Carl Jones, really? Cardell Jones, <laughs> Cardell Jones. I, I don't get it. So uh, that's all I have for this game. You got anything else you want to add before we get out of here? 
Uh, just that I really, really want to see those guys clean up the penalties. It's the second year in a row that they started off the preseason with a ton of penalties. They were sloppy as hell, both in terms of execution and just making dumb decisions and dumb plays. So that really needs to get cleaned up fast, and obviously they need to protect the ball better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, guys, well, that does it for us. I am at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Jamie? At Lightning underscore Round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.